Um, we're studying, uh, we're back on track, studying the life and the ministry of Jesus and doing our best to keep it in chronological order. And so with that being said, if you would please turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. Matthew's Gospel, 21. I'm going to read verses 1, no, pardon me, verses 12 to 16. We had already covered uh, from Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 11, uh, 17 through 22, which is that teaching on the fig tree when Jesus came and found it fruitless. So we're going to jump uh, over that because we've already covered that in our study. And uh, then we're going to pick it up in verse 23 uh, to the end. But we're only going to read this morning up to verse 16. And then we'll stand, of course, and pray. In verse 12, Matthew 21, Jesus went into the temple of God. And he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Verse 16. And said unto him, the religious leaders, Hearest thou what these say? Jesus said unto them, Yeah, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and suckling? Thou hast perfected praise. Oh, great text. Let's stand together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again. And we stand, Lord, with word in hand and pray over the text. Lord, we recognize that your word is something that is sacred to us, Lord. Nowhere else in the world is it said but... um, from any literature, that you have taken your word and you've esteemed it above your own name. So, Lord, we stand and we ask that the Holy Spirit of God would just anoint our minds and our hearts to receive things from him, that the Holy Spirit would be our chief instructor here uh, this morning, Lord. So we commit the study to you, Lord. Help me just to speak it with clarity. No one would be confused And that when we leave here this morning, we would be able to testify one to to another. Man, it was so good to be in the word. And now we are enriched. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen and amen. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be back in this study. And a few more months of this, of course. Uh, where are we at the timeline? Well, we're about three to four days right outside of the crucifixion with the Lord. Uh, man, he is driving home some important lessons 
not only to his disciples, but to also the multitudes that are, um, that are following him. If you remember in our timeline what happened, uh, we studied Mark 11. Jesus comes up and he sees, and the language indicates a single tree, uh, a fig tree full of leaves, had the appearance that it would be fruitful, but he doesn't find any fruit in it. It's a glorious study. It's one where you can sit down and just ponder it and think about it, you know. Uh, doing a more in-depth study in the Greek language, it indi- indicates that it's just one single tree uh, where the fig tree really does need the uh, process of uh, pollinization where the pollen and so if it's by itself it's never going to produce fruit and that's the danger of J- being one of these Christians that you know the whole lone ranger ism I just well I'll just be by myself you know and well, you're never going to produce any fruit that way but we studied that uh, a month ago and uh, but then again before that study if you remember we looked at the triumphal entry into the into Jerusalem and it was just, um, um, you know, this, this ruckus where uh, people are singing, Hosanna to the son of David, you know. And what I like about this section of scripture, by the way, is the, the fulfillment of these different prophecies. Even his coming into Jerusalem, riding on that, uh, that beast of burden, the, the, the donkey as it were. Don't want to use the old King James word. People think I'm cussing up here. Um, but uh, here he is. He's coming into uh, Jerusalem, a fulfillment of Zechariah. Do you remember I told you that I was going to try to throw the cross-references up here? Well, we're giving it a shot today. So if they're not right, forgive us. We're still working on them. I probably gave them the wrong reference. But anyway, in Zechariah 9.9, which makes the, the text more um, richer, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes unto you. He's just. And having salvation, it goes on, he's lowly, riding upon an ass, oh, I mean, a donkey, and upon the coal, the foal of a, of a donkey. I just have a hard time reading that old King James word. Did we make it up there? Ah. So I, it just makes the whole text more richer, man. And to see how, again, fulfillment of prophecy. Now, I don't know if you ca- caught it, but in this reading of our text, people were saying, hey, don't you hear what they're saying? Don't you hear what they're proclaiming? And Jesus will turn around and go, yeah, but haven't you ever read? Now, we're going to see that statement at least three times going through this text, even going further and when we go um, into these three different parables at the end. Um, but he's going to challenge them. Yeah, but this is what was written. Yeah, this is what should have been read. I want to say that on the onset here. Gang, you can never get enough of the word of God. Because there's always going to be a voice. There's going to be a voice in the world. There's going to be a voice in the church. There's going to be these challenges left and right. And the bottom line is this, gang. You know, what does the word say? Yeah, but our tradition say, yeah, but what? But you know, have you ever read let the word of God be your final authority, man. Give me an amen on that so I know you're here hearing me. The word, the word, your Bible, your Bible. That's why we place such great emphasis on it. Not just Wednesday, not just home fellowships, but even on Sunday. 
That's why I still like the size of our church, because we don't have to do three or four services. Some of these churches are so big, they they have to narrow the teaching down to just 20 minutes on a Sunday. We still get to look at it at least for 40 minutes, and I really love that fact. But going on, here he is riding in, fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9, verse, uh, verse 9. And they're singing this crowd. And again, I know this was a study we did before. But they're singing, Hosanna. Again, another fulfillment out of uh, Psalms 118. Let me read this one to you as well. This is Psalms 118, beginning with verse 25. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, for we have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Again, it just makes it so rich, knowing that, again, what Jesus is doing is, is he's fulfilling prophecy. In the same day, he is fulfilling two different prophecies. But here's the catch of this story, and I want you to gather this in. Here they are singing Hosanna. In fact, where it tells us in verse, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, verse 10, it tells us there that the city was moved with this shouting with this throwing down of palm branches and their coats, singing Hosanna and screaming a messianic title, son of David, you know. It says the whole city was moved. Well, the Greek word move there is seismic. We get the same word seismograph when we start to register different earthquakes and different uh, uh, volcano activity. We use the seismograph. That's how the city was being moved. When Jesus comes in, not riding a stallion, not coming in like some kind of uh, victorious general who is just going to, you know, take over. No, according to Zechariah, he comes in humility. He's a humble king. The whole idea of coming in on a beast of burden is, is a way for proclaiming, I'm coming to bring peace. See, his first coming, he came as a suffering messiah he knew of the prophecies, uh, you know, Psalms 23 and Isaiah 53 and, and Isaiah 57. He knows that and he's presenting himself for the first time. And by the way, for the first time he's receiving the praise before he would stop them. But this time he says, yeah, I will take it. Why? Again, so that the word of God could be true. So here he is. The city's being moved. Now, what Jesus does towards the end of his life, he never stays in Jerusalem. Did you know that? He would come from Bethany, go down through the Kindred Valley, up into Jerusalem, do his thing, do his Bible studies. Then he would go back and he would head back to Bethany. He never spent a single night until he was put on trial. There he is going back to, back to Bethany. What's up with Bethany? Well, I tell you, he had a couple of good friends there. He had a good old Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And he loved hanging out with them. He, he just was able to rest there and relax. And then in the morning, he would make his way back down into Jerusalem again during his final week. And so Jesus now, the second day, goes into the temple here in verse 12. Now, what's the temple about? Well, I can't give you, a, you know, that much a detail on the temple. But what, what it is important for you to realize, there are four different courts You have the outer court, which is called the court of the Gentiles. Man, if you went past that boundary and you were a Gentile, (laughs) not a good day for you. Then after the court of Gentiles, there would be the court of women. This is where the Jewish women could go and they could worship. 
Then it would be the court of men. And that's where the Jewish men could go. Then the fourth court, closer to the temple itself, would be where all the priests would hang out. This is where they would make their preparations for all the sacrifices. So you have these four different, um, four different courtyards. Now, why is that important? See, what we see here going into verse 12, it says, Jesus went into the temple. He cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew tables and the money changers and the seats of them who sold doves. This was in the court of the Gentiles. This was not in their court. It was in the furthest one away from the temple. Now, what what bothers me with this is what they were doing was crowding out the Gentiles. And there was this lucrative business, man. They were raking it in. Who's, who are they? The religious leaders. What the religious leaders and, and what they had gravitated to, they went into this thing where they could make buku bucks. It, let, me, let me explain it to it. Just say for, you know, hypothetically, you were someone that was poor. Uh, and you tried to raise a lamb, and when you brought your lamb, it didn't meet the temple standards. So the priest would say, sorry, bud, you know, uh, this is not acceptable. It is not perfect. But, you know what, <laughs> we're having a blue light special today, you know, because right over here, we have these cute little lambs, you know, and there's not one, and they're probably all like, like, all messed up, you know, but you could, you could buy one of these. And if you were poor, you know, you could buy one of our turtle doves. And if you were a little bit, you know, worse off than that, you could buy some pigeons at a great rate, you know, and you could. And man, they were soaking it in. Now, listen, the Jewish law was that you had to come to Jerusalem during this time of sacrifice. It was mandatory. If you were, if you were a Jewish male, you had to make your way there. And if you were of a family of 10, you, you could offer one, one lamb or, or one whatever the sacrifice was per family up to 10. Josephus tells us that this time, at this time, man, this place was crowded up to a million people or so. 250 lambs, 250,000 lambs were being slaughtered on the Temple Mount, right as Jesus is doing all this. Well, Jesus goes in, and he does not like what they're doing. And I, I think I know why, just reading this passage, but he doesn't like it. He goes right away and he throws over the money changers table. Who are they? Well, see, because you were required, you might have come from like a Roman providence. You traveled. And all you have is Roman coins on you. You have to give a half shekel according to their law. But you can't give Roman, you know, coin or currency. So you had to go to the money exchangers. You go to the money exchangers and, yeah, you kind of owe a half a shekel. But for us to exchange that, that's going to cost you two shekels. Well, wait a minute, you rip-off artist. If I'm only getting half a shekel, you know. And so they were just, again, ripping people off. And this is one of the times where Jesus just showed a, what would we say, a, a righteous indignation, a righteous anger. This is wrong. And I have to watch myself, and maybe some of you do too, where I start to see 
the church charging for things. Now, I'm not talking about fundraisers. That's different. We're raising funds to build, you know, different churches around the world, and we're raising to support missionaries. We're not putting that stuff in our pocket. These guys were kind of going to the den of thieves, and you know what a den of thieves is. You watch those old cowboy movies. They all find themselves in that den where they're distributing equally the money from the from the purse there. And Jesus doesn't like it. And I think, gang, if you want to note it, I think Jesus still feels the same way today. I don't think that the church should be... I, that's why they're, they're, they're called 501C, you know, nonprofit organizations. The church isn't about making a profit, gang. The church is about raising up souls, raising up soldiers to win souls. Amen, guys? To perfect the, uh, the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what we're here doing. Hopefully, today, I'm helping maybe sharpen your, your sword, in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And you're going to learn something today. But Jesus didn't like it, and I still think today he feels the same. He doesn't like about, you know, these, these gimmicks. You know, send me, I don't even know if they still do it. But back when I was a younger Christian, it was send me your seed of faith, something like that. So you send 10 bucks and they promised that you would re- get a thousand bucks in return. Well, I never got any thousand bucks back. You know, I just lost 10 bucks as far as I, I know. No, you know what the Lord just... You know, we are to be givers, but from the heart. Paul said we're to be cheerful givers, you know. Someone says, well, the New Testament doesn't teach tithing. Well, I kind of agree with you. Don't like teaching it because people take advantage of it, but we are to be givers. God loves a cheerful giver, and Jesus said we shouldn't ignore tithing either. But anyway, be that as it may, we do it because we love him, right? And we want to see the further, you know, his kingdom being uh, uh, expanded, and that's why we do it, and to keep the electric running. Anyway, so then he goes on, he says, no, my house, as it is written, there he goes again. Man, what's the matter? You guys never read? That my house should be uh, called a house of prayer, but you have made it, man, a place where thieves hang out. I, I watch some of these TV evangelists, man. Talk about righteous indignation, man. I want tables to start flying. But be that as it may, in Isaiah chapter 56, let me read this, and hopefully it's up on the screen. It says this, even then will I bring them my holy mountain, speaking about the temple. He says, and make them joyful in in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. Listen to verse 8, I love it. The Lord God which gathered the outcast of Israel who are, I think maybe that's some of us that would have probably had to hang out in the, in the courtyard of the Gentiles. But the outcast of Israel saith, yet will I gather others to him beside those who are gathered unto him, man. That's what the house of the Lord was for, to bring people in. It wasn't to make money. It wasn't to glamour. Oh, listen, please. It isn't to glamorize it. It's not the way the church looks. We don't need the best chandeliers hanging down. And I'm not trying to, you know, um, degrade or... or, I'm just talking about CCSJ here. You're not going to find chandeliers in here. 
We're not going to have smoke coming out of the background. We're not going to have spotlights where they go. I, yeah, I, I was in a church once and the spotlights went back and forth in the audience where you could see the top of every. Why they're worshiping. I have to say, the young people that were there were worshiping. But I thought I was back in the spectrum listening Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young again. It was like, <laughs> what is this all about? Such a distraction, you know. But not here. You know, I'd rather the monies go to feed, you know, starving kids. And I'm not trying to play with your emotions. I don't roll like that. But what is pure, undefined religion? It's the orphan. It's the widows. It's taking care of the unfortunate. Right, guys? Right? That's what I hope we're about. And we'll stay about until I kick the bucket. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer. The blind, the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, oh, they rejoiced, they magnified the Lord, they were waving. No, it tells us that the children came crying in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. But the the religious guys, they were sore displeased. They didn't like it one iota. They didn't like it, man. I don't know, you know, because, you know, he kind of did ruin the day, you know, for, for profit. But they were so jealous of Jesus. They couldn't understand why they, they had to go to all, the, all that to get people to come when Jesus would just sit and, and start to teach the word. Or maybe he healed a blind guy. Where he could see again, or a lame man, you know, raised to his feet again, or withered hand being stretched out, a woman who bled for years and her flow stopped. Man, people started following Jesus left and right. There was multitudes of people. Yeah, maybe the wrong reason, the reason they were singing Hosanna during the triumphal entry, they wanted Rome off their back. I get that. They wanted the scepter of Judah to return. They wanted the right. They wanted to start using the shekel again instead of this Roman currency stuff. Yeah, I get that. But man, when they saw that Jesus wasn't about that, that he came riding in on a donkey lowly, with humility, when they saw him being, you know, heard about that, that mock-up trial at the high priest, and then they saw him being drugged to the Roman Praetorium to f- meet P- uh, Pontius Pilate, they said, okay, this isn't the guy we want. So then they began to say, crucify him, crucify him. But with the children, they weren't singing Hosanna because they wanted the Roman yoke off their neck. They were singing because of the excitement. Man, there was being, praise were being lifted up, you know, by the children. Again, it said, Jesus said, no, then hear what they say. He said, well, haven't you ever read out of the mouth of babes and suckling thou hast perfected praise? Again, the same day, Jesus said, look, this is something that's been written down for you. It says, to, it says to us in Psalms 8, I'll read this to you again, Psalms 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, O Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name 
In all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and suckling, thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger through the praise of children, through the praise and worship of children. You have established your strength. What is that all about? I don't know about you, guy. For me, I love it when I hear kids sing. Because they're, they're singing about God and, and about his strength. And, and it's just, and they're not thinking, how can I get the church to grow? You know, they're not thinking, hey, man, this will be great for the Sunday school program. They're just singing out of their hearts, you know, and they're singing about God. I, we had a, a, a play here by the GCA, and there's this one little girl that sings in their choir. And she's up there, and she's singing with her whole heart. And I'm watching her, and I'm sobbing. Look at this kid out of the mouths of children. I walked away feeling strengthened and uplifted. And that's what praise should do. But see, when we do it with the wrong motives... When we're doing it because, hey, if I worship enough, I'll get the Roman yoke off my neck. If I sing and worship and raise my voice and make a ruckus, seismograph off the charts, you know. Well, then maybe God will bless me financially. Maybe God will bless me more powerfully. Now, I think with praise and worship, when you enter into it, whatever your motive was, whatever you think you're going to get, set it aside. And worship like children, where there's no other motives except the words that are being sung. Maybe a truth that's being revealed. Because I'll tell you, when I see children, pardon me, when I see children being worshipped or worshipped like that, man, this 65-year-old, well, not till January 8th, but 65-year-old guy, I walk away strengthened and excited And I take it home for the week, by the way. It isn't just one and done. And when I go out there, I'm yelling at the kids, get in the car, I want to get home. You know, I got to rake the leaves, you know. No, it stays with you. It just, doesn't it? Amen, guys? I just love to hear kids worship. Anyway, they were displeased. And he says, don't you hear? Or they said, hearest thou what they, and Jesus, haven't you ever read Gang, let me show you. This is what I get out of, out of this, this um, little teaching or this, this section of Scripture. There's four things that I see here. Number one, that the house of God is where prayer should always be offered. It, that the, we should be a, a church. And this is something that's been heavy on my heart. And I know we're going into a new year. My prayer is that our church would become more and more a church where prayer is being offered. You know, we had gotten away from our prayer team a little bit. They used to walk up here. We're going to try to restructure that again. You know, every now and then I'm just going to tell the church, hey, I'm going to be here Saturday morning if you want to meet with me. I'm just going to pray over something. Should we not be praying of our nation right now? I mean, not politically. You know, it is what it is. But praying over our nation for a revival. Praying that God would start a fire within a church. Maybe there's still, within the church of Christ, maybe there's still embers and they're smoldering. And all it will take is just one little breath of the Holy Spirit to make that thing blaze into a flame again. 
How many of you guys want to see that in the church? Not, not how wide it is, how many people attend, but the depth of the church. People praying for the church. Another thing that I see that the church, it should offer help. It should be a place for those that are blind. It should be a place for those that are lame. I mean, in my own life, there are times where I just don't see clearly. There are times where I'm kind of groping around. Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and, and inevitably, what he'll say to me, get some people around you, pray for you. You know, sometimes I feel like a lame brain. And I feel crippled sometimes. Come on, let's keep it real. We're not perfect human beings. We go through season where we need to get to church. We need to fellowship with one another because we need help and we need prayer. Isn't that the truth? We have a single mom's ministry. I love it. You know, it's one of my favorite things in this church where we can come become beside single moms. What do you need? You need some help on your car. What do you need at home? You need a plumber. Don't hire a plumber. I got some plumbers in the church. We need to, because that's what it's all about. The church should be able to offer help, offer prayer, offer help. It's, it is to be where power is released. If you look there at verse 15a, man, that's some power there that's being demonstrated. That's why we need to come to prayer. We need to pray on people. It says, when people are sick, call for the elders of the church. Anoint them with oil. And their faith, there should be results. We need to be a church where power can be released. And number four, what I learned out of our lesson, it should be where praise is released. Praise. Not because you just feel like it. No, I think praise should be something that you determine in your hearts. I find these four key Hebrew words important when it comes to this topic of praise. So for you, you note-takers, you can jot this down. Number one, the first Hebrew word is halal. H-A-L-A-L. Phonetically, that's, that's it. it. It's halal. And this is what the word means. It means to praise God who brings the deepest satisfaction. Tell me, when you're sitting there and you're contemplating or you're just thinking about the cross, maybe it's communion time, and you realize, light goes on, grace is magnified, and you go, wait a minute, what he's done on the cross for me, whether he does anything else in my life, brings the deepest satisfaction. I don't have to be like those that are singing, Hosanna, son of David, save us now from the Romans. Save us now from this or that. No, we can sing Hosanna to the son of David because he was the one who died on the cross and he took my sin, past, present, and future. And he paid the price. He was the only one who could say, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. The only one who could say, to tell us die. God, it is finished. It's been paid. And that brings the deepest satisfaction to my soul which, by the way, creates halal, worship. I start to bring my hands up. I don't care who's around me. I think about the cross. I think about the Roman Praetorium. I think about what the high priest did. I think about the mock-up you know, trials they put him through and how badly they beat him beyond human recognition. And it brings satisfaction to my soul. When you do that, you'll worship. You will worship God. The other second Hebrew word is, I love it, 
Ta-da! <laughs> that's, the, that's the word. And the ta-da literally means recognizing his work, his char- character, then recommending it. And to recognize it needs to be recommended. We, you know, ta-da! You start, to, some people are blown away when you tell them everything Jesus had accomplished for them on the cross. Really? Real? I had a ta-da when, back in 1973 when my brother looked at me. He goes, bro, Jesus loves you and he's our father. Because he and I were looking for a father. And he goes, I go, what? He goes, he's our father. I mean, like literally, yeah, he's our dad. In fact, it tells us in the Bible we can call him Maba. And it was like a ta-da. I went, yeah, he is our dad. He's our father. And then you begin to worship him. And then you begin to recommend it to others that might be struggling. The other Hebrew word is shamar. S-A-M-A-R. And that word literally means to break forth or break out in praise and worship. You've had that experience, haven't you? You know, you might be having a bummer day and maybe the Lord speaks to you, to your heart quietly. Or maybe you open the scriptures and the Holy Spirit allows a verse to become alive. And you're going, oh man. And you just start to sing. And you don't care what it sounds like. You would care what I sounded like if I started singing. But I don't care. I just love sometimes. Sometimes I make up my own words. Or sometimes, God is so good, God is so good, you know. And I'm off in the woods, cleaning up the woods out there, and it's worship. And the thing that I love about worship is according to the word, oh, check this out. According to the word, my father, who I love, who I've been worshiping, who I've been recommending, who I have just had some ta-da experience, is going, man, I love that boy. He's breathing it in. According to the scriptures, it's coming up before him as a, an aroma of rest. He loves it, gang, when we worship him. That's why we, we, we should do it. Not just in church. Do it. Hey, how many of us just had somebody, you're driving, you're singing, and the guy's next to you kind of, like, what's wrong with that whack job, you know? The last word is Shabbat. S-A-B-A-H. And that word literally means, again, it's the idea of commending, but it means commending thanksgiving. We should be a people who know how to thank God. I think, um, I think when we're not, or when we've refused to, maybe we got a chip on our shoulder, maybe we got some resentment for whatever reason. We just, I'm not going to thank anybody. I'm not going to thank God. I'm not going to thank my, my mate. I'm not going to thank my kids. You know, I'm just in a bad way right now. No, try it sometime. Just give thanks for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And thank you again. And when your mind, your flesh, or whoever says don't thank him, thank him all the more. Just go somewhere where somebody won't think you're nuts and just thank you, thank you, and thank you, and thank you, and thank you. I thank you. And if I haven't said it, I thank you. You know, you guys are looking at me like I'm nuts. Try it. Try to worship when you don't feel like it. Try to raise your hands when you think they're too heavy to lift up. Your worst moment, just try to praise him. You see someone else, recommend it. Hey, why don't you worship? I don't feel like it. Kind of acting a little spoiled brat right now, aren't you? Try it anyway. 
What do you say, Johnny? What do you say? Don't we make our children thank? What do you say to your uncle? For these pair of socks, thanks a lot, you know? You always get one of those gifts. And I don't know what time, well, there's no way we're going to get through this whole thing, but hey, gang, that's how you worship. You worship Hallel, Tada, Samar, and Shabbat. And when you put that all together, you're having a glorious day worshiping your king. Let's, let's see how far we can get down. So jump over to verse 23. Well, when they came into the temple, the chief priests, the elders of the people came uh, to him as, as he was teaching. Notice what Jesus was doing. You know, he didn't come in like some of the adults, those who were sore displeased, thought he, would, he should have come. He doesn't go into where Pilate would be hanging out or all these Roman politicians. He doesn't go and pick it around the White House. No, what he does is he goes to the house of God and he begins to teach. He starts to proclaim and, and uh, the scriptures. And he said, or they said, these sore displeasures or whoever they are, by what authority dost thou these things? Who gave you this authority? Who gave you the right? What degrees are you? Did you go to the rabbi university? You know, nothing like that. But yet, this is what he says to them. Well, Jesus said, well, I also will ask you one thing. And if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I'll do these things. So he alludes to John E.B., John the Baptist. He says, the baptism of John, whence was it? Where did it come from? Was it from heaven, like from God? Or was it of men? Well, they had a holy huddle. They reason among themselves, saying, if we say, shall say from heaven, hmm, he will say unto us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we shall say of men, well, can't do that. We fear the people for all hold or they consider John to be a prophet of God. Man, he's got us. If we say, well, that's easy. That's from heaven. And Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't, why don't you believe in me? Oh, no, from men, well, John, John, it can't be that, because if we say that, these people who are John followers, well, they'll trample on us. So let's play it smart, and let's just tell them we don't know. They answered, verse 27, Jesus said, oh, we can't tell you, or they said to Jesus, we can't tell you. And then Jesus says this, well, neither tell I, but I love my Lord, but if you can't tell me, I'm not going to tell you. What I do these things. Well, what do you think? There was a certain man who had two sons. Now, by the way, he's going to answer their question by what authority? Who gave you the right to turn over the money changer table? Who gave you the right to you know, chase all those? And, and the first time he did it, and by the way, this is a second cleansing. He did it three years prior to this, at his, you know, right when he started his public ministry. And here he is doing it again, which kind of shows me I, every now and then I need Jesus to go in and clean house once in a while. But anyway, he goes on and he says, what do you think? This guy had two sons. And the first came and said, son, go to work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he kind of thought about it. And he repented. And then he went. And then he came to the second son and said, and he said, likewise. And he said, no, I'll go, sir. But he doesn't go. 
Whether of the twain did the will of their father? Which two did the will of the father? And they said unto him, well, the first one. Jesus said unto him, well, verily I say unto you, that the publicans, oh men, talk about a dagger in the heart. The publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness. God sent him. And you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And you, when you heard it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. Interesting. What authority are you doing that? Hey, well, let me ask you. Let, let me tell you a little story. Here's this dad. He had two, two sons. And if he goes to the first son, he goes, hey, hey, son, I got some work for you to do. Will you do it? And the, the kid gets an attitude. No, I'm not going to do that. Are you kidding me, man? You know, it's, it's Christmas Eve. Whatever. And so he goes back. He sits around. He thinks about it. And he goes, man, that is not the way I should have handled that. Oh, man. All right, I'll go. Then he goes to the second son. Hey, son, got some work that's got to be done. Would you uh, go do it? Yeah, sure, Pop. I'm right on it. I got that. I got that. I'll be right there. Dad, all right. But he never goes. What's really the difference? Well, one might have been a little rebellious, but then he thought about it, repented of it, and he went and followed his dad's instructions. The other one, just lip service. He compares these religious leaders. Is you guys, you know, the harlots and the tax collectors, the down and outers, you know, they might rebel at first. They might not like the message. They might not like you got to be born again, but they're going to think about it and they're going to, you know, settle the issue in the heart and they're going to come to the cross eventually. But you religious guys with your flair, with all the dynamics of this temple thing and your business and all, yeah, you might serve me with lip service. But man, your heart's not there. You know, gang, I see that in the church today. No, I don't mean CCSJ. But I even see that. There's some folks who'll come in here, they might not even like what I said. In fact, I had that happen. I had a young woman walk up to me one day, and I don't even remember what the message was, man. I'm kind of brain dead but and she goes I do not like what you said and she marched turned around and marched out and I thought oh could I at least pray for you you know just tore out the door a couple weeks later true story she comes walking in she's still here today she goes I gave it some thought I'm not a good person am I uh, no 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 you're not I'm go I'm not and I really do need someone to come into my heart and forgive me, don't I? Uh, yeah, you do. She goes, how do I do it? Real like abrupt. I said, um, well, you, would you like to pray with me? You know, like kind of, I was a little afraid of her. And, um, <laughs> and so we sat on the front row. This was over in Belmar. And, and we sat. And, and I said, will you take my hand? She goes, I ain't holding your hand. Just do what you have to do. And I, so I said, all right, Lord Jesus. And I did the sinner's prayer. And he goes, she goes, looks at me. She goes, is that it? I went, well, by faith, right? You're believing it. She goes, well, that's what you told me to do. I said, yeah. This has been over seven years today, and she still comes here faithfully in the word, loving Jesus. See, she rebelled at first, but then she went home like drug addicts do every now and then. What do you mean I got to get rid of my drugs? People who live in sexual sin, I'll challenge them. 
No, you can't live together before you're married. You need to repent. They'll go home. They'll be mad at me. But then they'll read in the scriptures. And they'll go, he's right. I don't like that guy in the red flannel shirt. But I, you know, I'm going to ask the Lord to forgive me. And they'll come back. See, God loves that. What he doesn't like is lip service. Yeah, 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 yeah. And never do it. Yeah, I know I got to do that, Lord. You know I got to give up that booze. You know, I know I, no, no drunkards entered into the kingdom. Oh, yeah, Lord, I know I can't smoke weed at night. I'm sorry. And, and I'm not making fun. I'm not trying to be funny. But there's a lot of hurting Christians out there that are being challenged and are still a little rebellious in their hearts. See, that's why we need to be a, a church where praise is being offered and help is being offered. Right, gang? You know, where power is being released to be able to pray for them. Where praise is being exalted. That's what the house of God should be like. My house should be a house of praise, not a den of thieves and robbers. So people can have help. Does it make sense, gang? Don't serve the Lord just from your lips. Even if you're struggling with him, just go in your prayer closet and just ask him. You know, if you tell him you're struggling with a sin issue, it's not going to throw him off his throne. Jesus is right there on the right hand. Is that my right? No, right on the right hand. God, never mind. I'm dyslexic. But he's there and he's interceding for you. And And he's praying for you. Victory is yours. Amen, church? Amen. Give me a fatter one than that. Amen? Amen? Yeah, God loves you guys. Let's see. Ah. See, he answers it again, but the, pro- the proverb, or, uh, the parable is such a great um, parable um, that I, I want to put the brakes on here. Would you mind? There's two more parables that we'll go over next Sunday. I don't know how I'm going to do this because there's a different study. Anyway, pray for me because I want you to see this and read ahead this house owner planting a vineyard, giving it to a vine dresser, vine dresser, you know, beating up, you know, some of the, the owner's servants, then finally seeing the sun, then destroying and annihilating, killing the sun. Such a picture of our Lord being taken to a high place, Calvary. Hanging on a cross for us. So we'll look at that parable next week along with the final one. And that is by what authority Jesus did what he did, cleansing the temple. Let's stand together. Again, I just want to encourage you guys, you know, um, the New Year's Eve thing. It isn't just about... um, bringing our, our potlucks, you know, or some, some of them are lucky. But anyway, um, but it's about us getting together as a church family. It's about maybe sitting around a table and doing just what we study today, getting to know one another, right? Offering help, offering prayer, offering praise. We're going to get together. We're going to pray together. We're going to worship together. We're going to eat together To me, that's a model of the New Testament church. So let me pray for you right now. Rich will end us in a song together. But would you lower your head?
And if this message, this study has spoke to you like it has spoken to, to me, and right now you're living sort of like in this rebellious state, and you don't want to serve the Lord just with lip service, but you really wholeheartedly want to worship and pray and help, would you just raise your hand so I can just pray for you where you're standing right now? Yep, anyone else? Okay, you, you that raised your hand and you that rose your hand in, in your heart, please pray with me. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. It's not ours. It's your ecclesia. You paid for it. You shed your blood for it. You have called us a son or a daughter of God. We're in your family. We can approach a more perfect sanctuary. Call you Abba, Father, our dad. Lord, so in our hearts, our hearts of heart, we don't want to serve you with just lip service. We want to serve you. We want to pray to you. We want to worship to you with a pure heart, Lord. So we offer our hearts, Lord, to you. We ask for forgiveness, Lord, for the rebellion in our hearts. And as David would say too, Lord, search me. See if there's anything wicked in me. Lord, cleanse me, create in me a clean heart. We just offer our lives to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. amen.